So they were all <coughs> um, having different, slightly different experiences. So it's uh, not always easy to lay down a line of in- instruction because it depends where people are starting from, what's what come, what easily comes to mind, what's difficult, what, what's being carried, what's uh, what's the pieces that are not seen, and so forth. So this is uh, you can't really just say, well, this is a he'll redo this some kind of system. So, well, you can <laughs> you can say that, but uh, I don't. But there is something systematic. Not really a fixed system, but something systematic, systematic attention. Deep attention, appropriate attention, yoni somnisikara, appropriate attention, various ways this is, this term is, is, uh, used and it's a very significant one. It's, it's surprisingly, it's much less, um, press, much less uh, usage than mindfulness, but it occurs at least as many times. As mindfulness, and it's it's um, it's that which determines what one should be mindful of, where one should place one's mindfulness, how one should place it, uh, what's appropriate to place it. Uh, so it's it's a very significant factor, and um, it was the key to the Buddha's awakening was his use of appropriate attention. Now, whatever experience we're having. The nature of experience uh, is uh, it's causal, it's conditioned, it arises, it's it's caused. Something comes up because of something. We don't exactly always know why, but it arises, it originates, it happens. Feeling, mood, thought, impression, sensations, um, uh, and it gives rise to other things. We can react to it, respond to it, develop it. Um, there's this whole kind of energetic cauldron experience is bubbling away for all of us. So it's many, many factors. It's called dumbness, qualities. They could be physical qualities, psychological qualities, emotional qualities, subtle, refined, um, skillful, unskillful. There's this kind of mesh constantly operating. So this is called right view is to um, is to recognize that and wherever it goes wrong it, it what happens is it seems everything seems to be fixed i am this this is that so the fixity of that is is what blocks the process of freedom liberation so whenever one be there's a sense of a becoming somebody fixed positions uh, a fixed entity or searching to be a fixed entity. So this is, uh, this is a kind of reflex that occurs, not systematically cultivated, but reflex reaction or, or default of ignorance. Because there isn't a fixed entity. Is there? And, uh, but then, of course, one of the conditions and causes for that is because, uh, 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 either through one's own volition or through the pressures of the world around, try to create a fixed entity, try to be somebody, fixed, permanent, lasting, reliable, solid. And that gets heightened, uh, enormously in the workaday world, whereby we want people who operate ideally in some way like machines. You can switch them on, they keep purring away until you switch them off. And, you know, that's that's efficient. And ideally you can give them to go faster, produce more. So there's this, we want fixed entities with steady state and velocity. And uh, so there's enormous pressure to be one of these. Uh, yeah. Or an object of some kind, an object to somebody else, an object to one's group, an object to one's family, one's so forth, you know, or an object to oneself. You know, I am this. 
So it's object seeking. And, uh, you know, objects are illusory. They seem to be, we tend to believe in an objective reality as being the most solid, concrete thing. But objective reality is a matter of opinion. <laughs> it's a matter of how you, what you're looking through. Yeah. It's very dependent. It's not objective at all. It's subjective. Yeah. You look at something through a telescope, it's different than feeling it with your hands. You listen to something, it's different from seeing it. Hmm? Yeah. Look at somebody as a visual object, it's very different from physically holding them or remembering them. Yeah. And these are different things. You can we can objects are always very subjective, limited, you know, facets of experience that uh, can, you know, what's actually the case is it's subjective, is the truth, is the living truth. Object is a derived thing, depending with you, how you measure it, with, with uh, your eyes or a, or a thermometer or a, uh, you know, a slide rule. And so, but that because we adopt those systems so readily, you don't, you know, you look at a mountain in terms of height, you don't look at it in terms of speed or temperature. So, that's the way we describe a mountain. But what is a mountain? What is a tree? Describe it in terms of value of timber, height, give it a Latin name. What is it? Depends on what particular system you're operating to. You know, to define that thing. And this may just seem like an intellectual, intellectual game, but it's not. Because, although these examples are relatively uh, innocuous, what defines you? Mm. That can be extremely uh, subjective and uh, locked into lenses that do not see the goodness, do not see the value. Seeing oneself as an object, being seen as an object, function system, come up to this, be this, be that, I should be. Hmm? This is a tension that is not uh, careful or systematic, it's habitual, object-forming attention. And what is missing is some sort of sense of uh, an inclusive, open, empathic sense with it. Subjective things, subjectivity is always allows for feeling. So you look at these little sheep and cows, you could see them as beef, lamb, wool, see a number of things. What do they see themselves as? We've asked that question long enough and deep enough. Would we be eating them? <laughs> and yet that's what they are. They are themselves subjective, feeling creatures, afflicted by fear and desiring comfort or security, afflicted by cold and heat, feeling satisfied with food. Subject, that's what they are. I don't know, you know, what it's like to be a sheep, but I'm sure that's those are the kind of things that are running subjectively. When you look at it like that, you think, I don't want to eat this creature. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not my object. But you can see the process whereby all those objective definitions 
Yeah, it's true. Take it to the market, yeah. It is definitely, that's lamb, not fish. Definitely is. Yeah, it, it's, it's very relative. And it depends how we're seeing things. So, the particular, so this lens of attention, how we see things, what particular attitudes are there when we see or come into experience, is extremely significant. We can see this body as male, female, attractive, unattractive, short, too big, too small, something wrong with the ears, the, you know, all these kinds of things you can attach to the visual field of it. That's a visual perception. That's not a body. That's a visual experience. That's a visual experience, along with a mental uh, connotation. So you start to, this process of systematic attention is just to begin to acknowledge how we are experiencing things. What are the particular ways in which we're experiencing things? And what is the best way? The way that gives a chance for uh, skillfulness to arise. Skillfulness means that there's a sense in which things can shift towards greater well-being and balance and shift by themselves. You don't have to keep manipulating everything. You attend skillfully, appropriately, that which you attend to is changed just by the quality of your attention. Now, it definitely requires a particular kind of effort to sustain appropriate attention, no matter what, and to listen. So attention, although in some ways we can see this as a directive quality, tend to this, but also it's a receptive quality. Whatever you put your attention onto, you will receive the qualities of that. This is what the principle of, of right view is all dhammas, all things that arise, give, they are potent. They can give rise to qualities. And however, whatever quality we bring to bear has an effect. So you bring to bear a mind of kindness and goodwill, that has an effect on what you you direct that towards something, that has an effect. It changes the nature of the thing, changes how you see it. It changes it. It's not that you change it from some wishing it or another way. That is, if one does experience it, one does experience things from a mind that's free from craving, fear, aversion, whatever you attend to, becomes free from the, those projections of uh, fearful, uh, desirable, mm. so on. Yeah. So we have a, our, our attention can is very potent. And much of what uh, our attention implants on object, on features is so habitual that we don't seem to be doing it. Just like, you know, seeing a sheep as something, wool, meat. Because everybody's doing it that way. See, it's an object. So, one of the primary uh, recommendations for all attention is to have the quality of uh, freedom from, or relinquishing craving, aversion, um, delusion, projection, not planting something onto something, not planting some wish or 
craving onto something, not planting some sense of irritation, fear, negativity onto experience. Acknowledging when one is doing that, as we probably will be doing. Because it becomes ingrained. We see, you know, things that we don't like as innately detestable. It's because we don't like them. You can do that to creatures. People have this thing about spiders or snakes, which surely are just doing their business in their own little world, trying to get by, like everything else is. And we can see there is innately vicious or nasty or, you know, we plant that onto them. So you start treating a creature like that, that tends to be how it's going to react. Now this becomes exceptionally uh, valid when we are meditating, we're bringing attention to our, what we call our self. Could be our body, our mind, our emotions, and we want it to be, say, steady, approvable, that which we could approve of, we feel is right, doing what it should be doing, making sense, uh, being comfortable or easeful, you all that onto it. And, uh, and then we do meditation. As soon as you, we use a word like, you know, to practice meditation, there comes with it, get it right. Comes it, get it right, don't get it wrong. So we get, that gets implanted. These messages are implanted in the way we attend. So habitually that we don't even know it. Of course. Obviously we want to get med- What do you mean? Well, you want to meditate to, to be good at it, don't you? Why shouldn't you? That's obvious, isn't it? Well, not really. Well, you don't want to be bad at it? No. What are you going to do? Well, just relax. How is it? Bring up the quality of groundedness, spaciousness, warm-heartedness, How does experience, when you settle into that, what is your experience? Can you sustain that matrix when the physical discomfort happens, when the sound drops in that you don't particularly wish for, when the thought comes up that you find disturbing, the fly on the window pane thought? buzzing, the nagging, the habitual thing. Can you sustain that quality of groundedness, spaciousness, empathy? And of course you can't. Can you then go back to where those are given in your body? You do have something underneath you. You can sit, you can walk, you can stand, you do have space around you. And you settle into those. You do have the ability to feel, respond, be empathic. Those are given. So whenever we lose it, as we surely will, we return to the basis. Make much of that. To all one's attention, this is systematic attention, to systematically attend to qualities that give rise to skillfulness, to non-agitation, to non-aversion, to non-restlessness, to non-doubt, to think give rise to confidence, to settledness, to contentment, to wanting little, to ease. Give rise to those. 
it's a very simple equation. And of course, it's, it's, these are, these are generalized things. I don't know where that is for you. But I, my suggestion is if they weren't there, you wouldn't certainly be here. You'd probably be in a, in a medication. <laughs> it's got to be somewhere, somewhere in your Mandalorian experience where there's a sense of safety, contented, Settled somewhere in there, otherwise, you'd be a basket case. Somewhere in there, we touch that, and the point is to to find that and to make much of it. And although that's there, it may not be where your thinking mind goes. It may not be where your doing mind goes. It may not be where your habitual modes of attention go. That's the snag. Because your habitual modes of attention will tend to be those which are conditioned by a world that believes in objects, things to do, things to get to, becoming something. And this is, this is not of that nature. It's not about something in the future. It's not about becoming something in the future. It's about dissolving the future and the past. Hmm? But there is, and in fact, at the um, what we call it the natural mind or the original mind, questionable term. Chitta. That's 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 the fun. That's the fundament. That's the basis. Hmm? Even when you came into this birth, you didn't have uh, a mission. You didn't have a project. So this uh, there's a. Sp- place, there's a time, there's a moment, there's a phase in our process, our mental process, our chitta process, our when a process of mental consciousness where we're just awake, alert, alert repose. It's like you know, where you, you wake up and right now there's nothing to do but just the sample, the quality of being here. There's that, that range before it becomes more activated. It's a deeply receptive place. It's not by any means the end of the story, but it's certainly, it's, that's the place we return to. Refuge. So that from that place, ah, this is where my attention can take refuge, find its foundation. And from here, feeling the confidence, the gift, the assurance of that, then I can open to the tangled thought, the stiff leg, the worrying, receive it systematic attention systematic attention as a foundation the foundation often seen as often expressed as uh, hearing the teachings Mm -hmm. hearing the teachings as a foundation Foundation is good people, good human, a good person who embodies, who presents. Well, that's that's it's like that. It's the way. Oh yeah. And similarly, inappropriate attention as a foundation. Not hearing the Dharma, 
hearing everything else, <laughs> saturated with everything else, <laughs> saturated with uh, messages that are not about awakening or enlightenment or freedom. They're about pressure and urgency and so on. So this non-systematic attention has this as a basis. And that means not hearing the good Dhamma, not meeting with the good people, meeting with the frantic people, or the upset people, or the duplicitous people, either in reading newspapers or television or screen or daily life. And we get infected with it. So this is where we, you know, it's not like you, it's just the nature of attention. If it's not grounded in this, it's not a matter of your name, your number. Could be, this means if you're, if any of us, if our attention is not grounded in that right place, it's going to be grounded in the wrong place. You can't, it's either one or the other. Yeah. And this is the hinge point because dependent on that, we either see things in a way that's conducive to unraveling stress, or we see things in a way that's conducive to building up stress. So even meditation can be a way of building up stress if it's not grounded in right appropriate attention. It could be another project where you start to get tightened up and compulsive and right, wrong and desperate and this, that, it should be this, doubt. You know, rigidities, fixed views. So, you know, whatever systems one's using, it's getting the appropriate attention, systematic attention. There's, it has to be that has to be established first. And the quality of systematic attention, or appropriate attention, or deep attention, means oh, it's experiences happening. What's what's suitable to really dwell upon? Dwell upon phenomena that gives rise to doubt, you'll get more of it. Dwell upon phenomena that give rise to confidence, you'll get more of it. The fact that the nature of attention is it amplifies whatever you attend to, becomes the dominant theme. Whatever you give attention to, that becomes the dominant quality of your experience. Give attention to to phenomena that give rise to aversion, you'll have more of it. If it's aversion in yourself, other people, when you find things about yourself you find you're disappointed by, keep giving your attention, you'll get more disappointed. In that, yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's potent stuff. So, you know, it's very simple, but it's the, the, the thoroughness of it. Just to recognize how many times you find it, one finds oneself habitually giving attention to the phenomena that do not give rise to anything beneficial. It's as if somehow or another we, we're just so peckish to have something to feed on, because any old junk will do. And uh, it's often these these things have got a certain potency. Suffering is attractive. Attracts our attention. But before we can really unravel suffering, you can say, no, I need the boundary to establish proper attention. Buddha certainly taught the Four Noble Truths, but the path to the resolution of, of suffering begins not with, you know, going head into suffering, or into suffering, but begin to establish skillful qualities. This is the right view. Skillful qualities make you strong enough, make you comfortable enough, give you the resources to handle these tremendous pressures of craving, need, uncertainty, so on. Yeah. Anguish. Um, so it has to be built up. Now, so 
what you will, um, what I would encourage is really, you know, when we have a couple of days, and clearly, this is in temporal terms, this is a very small window. But, uh, the point is, if you see through that window properly, and you really get what's in there, then, uh, that, the nature of mind is it stays. It stays there. Somewhere. You know. Something knows. So we're looking into, look through that window, and you don't want to just look at the monastery, or you just look at really something, this is a chance to look at something that is, is absolutely constant. That's the most important thing. To look into, to, to sample something that will, is always has been there, but gets occluded. And if you sample that, it's like a missing piece, or a piece that's not been known, slots in. It's like, you know, you suddenly you really know where your feet are. And uh, when, the, when you know that, something, that knowing has got a tremendous uh, uh, grounding power. Even when we move out of these conditions and situations, something else stays there. And conditioned reality just does not have the same impact, the same pressure, the same bite to it, the same delight in it either. This is a renunciant path. Not because you have to, but because that's what truth does. It, it lets go of stuff. And it will do that. And it happens right, you know, right across the board. Everybody who cultivates finds himself not wanting more uh, entertainment, da 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 yeah. Wanting actually wants to be quiet. It just happens because once you've touched into something like that, you're not so hungry and you're not so seduced. Is this is a sort of the spell is broke. And then so really trying to find and have the opportunity in this weekend this is not a whole meditation course it's just maybe the one thing the most important thing to find your refuge place and to know it as innately both innately yours but also selfless And to sample it, and to enjoy it, and to begin to see how, when you come from there, life has got a lot of space and openness to it. You don't have to be conditioned into some sort of program or another. You've got a lot more freedom. And you can begin to check, well, this one, finished with. This one, well, maybe. This one. Looks interesting. This one, oh come on! <laughs> you know, to, and that's 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 extremely significant because that's how the path progresses from this deep attention begins to systematically. You start to know what's needed, what's not needed, what's important, what's not important, what was important five years ago and is finished. What's um, yeah. What the messages, the scenarios that are now past their sell by date, finished. The attitudes, the opinions, the views, the strategies, the trajectories. And this is, we know we, we need this. We deserve it. We're alive. It's your life. It isn't going to go, it isn't not going to last that long. So don't, don't go kind of down the same old alleyway, day in, day out when you have the possibility for shifting, changing to something more nourishing, useful. And this is what deep attention will give you. 
So it, it's a foundation, it's an establishment. It's, uh, yeah, it's based upon something, quality that is, that you receive. Refuge quality. Now we might say we, somewhere we do that, we tune to it, we move towards it, we take up a stance, we put aside other things, and we, but we come into that, that refuge place. And you stay in it. And then from there, you can begin to attend wisely, rather than with a set of ideas. Or, um, end games. Oh, we did it, then I'll get it. The function of deep attention, systematic attention, is to discern what's skillful, what's unskillful. Now, now clearly there's some things that are pretty constantly skillful, unskillful, like we say, taking life is unskillful. Acts of violence are unskillful. But then you've got so many other kind of areas that are, should I eat something, should I sleep, should I drink, should I talk to somebody, should I go for a walk? Uh, you know, there's all sorts of, there's no moral issues. And yet, all of those, anything you do, is going to have results. Right? Now, so, what's, so you want to know not just what's uh, morally right or wrong, but what's really of the moment you know, where it's going to give the best the, um, greatest results what's necessary right now and I would suggest that for why we've come here for this weekend is most of all what's necessary most important right now is to just switch off a lot of stuff not because it's wrong or evil, just because I need to simplify, just to get my mind clearer, like simplify the landscapes as I experience things a bit more clearly. That's that's the most important thing now, right? You know? What helps that? Well, uh, uh, put aside mental preoccupation. Put aside. Conversation, not because it's wrong, but because right now we we can do that another time. Uh, aside reading, you know. But again, these are like these are, they just feel away with these. Put aside planning. Put aside um, concepts, even good concepts. Put aside coming from your head. From your ideas. Try that one. Try to be a more innocent beginner. Remember the Buddha's amazing progress came from pulling aside being the Olympic ascetic to being a little boy sitting under a tree. Moved that way, gave up spiritual conquest. Gave up many things, but the ability, you know, he certainly got a teaching in a sense of uh, this is the way to go, and da, 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 da. and he got good at it. But then he was able to say, "Okay, no, this isn't what's needed. You know, step outside of um, even spiritual." Landscape, and one, one's convention, Buddhism, as a, a set of ideas, which probably some of you know quite well. I've got a reasonable amount of it, and uh, but to be able to step outside it doesn't mean to to trash it all. It just means I've got to translate that into 
got to face myself on where proper attention comes with where I can handle that stuff. Otherwise, I know what I'm going to do. I don't come from appropriate attention. I'm going to start getting into this. Is this a hindrance, or is it a defilement, or is it maybe greed, or is it enlightenment factor? What's the difference in grasping? Is that craving or attachment, or is that just being mindful? Is that being dogmatic, or is it being committed? Am I pushing too hard, or am I just sincere? I don't know. You know, we, we come from up there. And uh, as the example of the Buddha, it's sometimes very simple. And coming into the bodily experience is uh, certainly what I will be encouraging and encouraging. Just knowing tension in your body, whether you can experience your entire body. Now, when I mean entire body, I don't mean the body that you see with your eyes. Yeah. Now, just remember that, because we use a word like body, probably what pops up is a little picture. And can I feel my toes and my fingernails and my ears and so forth? I don't mean the visual body, I mean that which you experience as a body now in the in the body's own sense, mm-hmm. right? It's a pulsing field of feelings and sensations and energies, yeah. and there's a tendency to narrow down onto certain areas, painful places. Get stuck in those. Try and shut out the painful places. Can you just hold the whole thing? Let the whole thing open up in awareness. And then begin to what disassemble the, or no longer sustain the notions of height, size, visual appearance. Just put that aside. Not going to do any good at all. Irrelevant. Not relevant at all. And increasingly, the more that you center it, you can even begin to put aside the ideas of feet, legs, back. It's useful at first just to be able to check in, but then even that becomes... The kind of like it gets you stuck in space, means your, your space is limited, spatial domain. Yeah, I've always put my body is down there, my leg is there, my arm is over there, my head is up here, my back's <coughs> behind there. Well, where when you say you know, your legs are down there, where are you saying that you're in your head, aren't you? You know, in your feet. In your feet, your legs wouldn't be down there, it'll be up there. So if your legs are down there, it means you're in your head. What are you doing up there? If you say your back's behind you, it means you're you're in your front. Why are you in your front? Now, if you're not in your front or your back, where does the sense of direction go? It's all here, isn't it? That's what I mean. And what's the result of that? The mind settles because there's no here and there. There's no this point and that point. It's just all this. The mind doesn't keep moving around, swinging around. And it's all those qualities start to connect. And again, this is a very um, distinctive shift because by and large our attention tends to narrow around painful pieces and focus on them and intensify and struggle with them and resist them. And painful pieces you want to open your attention so that the energies of the whole thing can flood through constricted places 
And so things begin to neutralize. Yeah. Now some pain is called, physical pain is caused by um, constrictions. That is, uh, it's called gantha, bodily knots. Uh, so the Buddha mentions this bodily knots, which are associated with certain uh, mental patterns such as ill will, uh, ambition, covetousness, desire, craving to be, and ill will create bodily knots. Now he's not talking about tissues, he's talking about somatic experiences, but definitely that affects the tissue if you tighten up. Attachment to systems and schemes and customs and so forth, which doesn't mean religious rituals, it means the whole systematic, um, custom-driven nature of our world, 8 o'clock, 6 o'clock, Thursday morning, get this done by Tuesday, that's all system. So when we start to operate like a machine, that creates a knot. Tightening. Dogmatic assertion of truth. Only this is right. That the kind of flat view of science. Science creates a knot. Now these are the knots, four knots. And the word knot means there's a certain tightening and constriction apart from anything else that can occur, because based upon these, uh, you know, other things start to seize, tighten up, or lock or freeze, such as our capacity for playfulness or joy, or ease, or release, or softness, malleability, openness. They shut down. And these are not just ideas, these are, have an energetic quality to them, felt in your body. So whenever we experience some of these tensions in our body, you don't want to start getting tense about it. You don't want to start having a, this shouldn't be here, flat view. It's, it's Whatever feels flat or frozen or hard must be approached with something that's softer, widening, opening, welcoming, please. So you're actually bringing a particular releasing fluid energy into play on terms of your own embodied domain. Nervous energy, you could say, if you like, that language. Instead of being tight, or if you're nervy, tight, tense, that quality is not something to get tense about, or think I'm doing it wrong, I shouldn't be this way, I should be more cheerful and relaxed. That is dogmatic. This experience is something also to be included, open to, receive, softened around. Because we're not even asking it to change. I just want to change my relationship to that. I can. The beauty of it is, if one really cultivates a relationship, only skillful things can come from skillful basis. And to know what's skillful, not as an idea, but to know the quality of skillfulness, as it, because it has results. And skillfulness is based upon deep attention, grounded attention, refuge place. It's not an ideology. Though you can create one out of it, of course. So, Dissolving what we don't need, so that we can more fully amplify what's suitable. How do you amplify it? By sustaining attention on it, by constantly referring to it, by putting it into action, by suffusing your body with it, by breathing in and breathing out, 
by walking with it, by eating with it. That's how you, that's how it grows great. This is a very simple piece of arithmetic, isn't it? But it's not a system. So this is the um, encouragement for you to know in yourself. And, uh, you know, as someone who's I'm here doing this as an act of love, sympathy, so naturally, if I have, have I that sense, um, it's an offering, and you know, it can be that something I've said, one piece I've said, touches that place. That's good enough. You don't have to get it all. Just uh, any piece that takes you to your refuge place. Know that piece, that turn of phrase, that direction. Use it thoroughly. Most important, know where it takes you to. Uh, and find your, find your way there. This is where it's both, uh, something that can be transmitted, but only suggested. And then, you find that for yourself. But what is the system, the systematic quality of it, for it to grow great, it must grow through your embodiment to cover your entire embodied experience. There's no part of you that's not opened. Because this is the basis, this is the subjective basis, is this embodied experience. That's the subjective basis. That's the thing that feels. That's the thing that experiences energies and feels and sensitizes. Everything else is just secondary. This is the fundamental. The place where the Buddha's enlightenment was this very body. That is something he's very clear about. And that's what we all have. And in there is the refuge and the way to liberation.